Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the sixth day of October 2022. Happy Thursday. Almost Friday. Glorious, beautiful Friday. You can smell it. It's got that. It's a little bit of a musty smell, but still quite delicious. I'm looking forward to the weekend because I'm looking forward to the weekend effing review. These idiots. My God. The control I exhibit on a daily basis on this program is Nobel-worthy, quite frankly. Not all heroes wear capes, but uh, apparently this one sits in front of a microphone. And the control I show and demonstrate will be thrown to the wind on Saturday morning with the Week in Effin' Review at patreon.com slash Podcast and derekhunter.locals.com. I highly recommend you check it out. I I implore you to check it out and also enter the contest to win autographed books and everything. And then my daughter's birthday will be this week and there'll be a gathering on Saturday. So you'll get uh, some pictures of that. And if I remember to take them, it's just uh, all sorts of goodness. All sorts. I should probably take, I should probably clean this room and then take some pictures of this room too, because some of the stuff in here is pretty cool and post it there as well. Like my beach boys autograph and stuff. Anyway, appreciate the support, especially now that the hospital bills are coming due. But thank you so much. Enough whining, enough sales pitch. Let's get on to uh, what we're here to talk about. There's a lot of stuff going on, a bunch of things to talk about. I, um, I'm sitting here. Where do we go? I, I got very little audio in the program today, but lots of things going on. And I want to start off because they are trying to assassinate the character of every Republican they can get their hands on, honestly. It's not just Ron DeSantis. It's not just Herschel Walker. It's any Republican. They're trying to destroy them. They're tr- That's what they've got. It's what they've got. It's all they've got. It's all they bring to the table. And so you don't can't really blame them for... Taking the low road. Remember when Democrats used to pretend that they were this high moral cause? Oh my goodness, we—they go low, we go high. We go. When do you go high? You get high, but when do you go high? When was the last time you remember a Democrat going, "I, I will not do that. That is beyond the pale." It never happens. They actually just simply lie. Lying is not taking the high road. Even if your pinky is out while you do it. That's for example of Democrats lying. This is hilarious. PolitiFact, fact checking. They're out there fact checking. They've got a fact check. It took two of them Lewis Jacobson and somebody named Jeff Circone. I assume Circone, Circone, whatever it is. He looks like he enjoys pasta. They, they fact check Joe Biden. They do what is called a promise tracker, a Biden promise tracker. Now, every time that Donald Trump got the date wrong, that was a lie. Donald Trump is lying. He's trying to rewrite history by changing history. Unbelievable. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And they clicked everything. I, I, uh, my beautiful wife, she's the most beautiful uh, first lady ever. Well, some critics say that Jackie Kennedy was a much better wife. Yeah, she... 
Sure as hell didn't seem to mind JFK screwing around on her. I guess if that's what you're looking for and you're in the market for a wife and you really want one that won't mind you screw around on her constantly and embarrass her, Jackie's your gal. But I still say Melania is hotter, but they won't find a way. They will find a way to deny it. In the uh, Biden promise tracker, they have declared the get COVID under control. They've declared that promise kept. COVID is under control, ladies and gentlemen. Remember that when the administration tries to use COVID to ram through whatever it is they concoct next or whatever it is they come up with in the uh, lame duck session. Go, oh, my goodness. We must, uh, we must do this because of COVID. We must spend more money on education. You spent, you know, billions of tens of billions. Well, we need more, though, because COVID. Now, the, uh, the promise... I'm never going to raise the white flag and surrender. This is Joe Biden quote. We're going to beat this virus. We're going to get it under control. I promise you. So say, is COVID-19 under control in the U.S.? Experts say yes. Oh, what's over then? Well, there you go. Now, uh, what do they base that on? The number of hospitalizations and number of deaths. Oh, okay. The number of hospitalizations and number of deaths. Well, the number of deaths are 400 daily and 30,000 hospitalizations on the average day, the seven-day rolling average. It's been that way for a very long time. Did Joe Biden get that under control? No. No. Is that number going down? No, that number is fluctuating wildly. It fluctuates. It's going to go up. How can you say that, Derek? Well, I can say that because I understand how winters work. Right? Can we just all agree that that wind viruses, aerosolized viruses, spread much more rapidly in winter months because people are inside and, and in close contact with one another? So, yeah, I believe that COVID is under control too, but it is amazing the uh, unit of measure that they use and the lengths to which they will go to claim that Joe Biden has kept his promise. He's going to end the virus. Where's that promise stand? Remember, he was, going to, he was going to shut down the virus, not the economy. And then he shut down the economy. We're still dealing with the ramifications of that. More importantly, he put morons in charge of the economy uh, and the, the supply chain. So you're sitting there watching everything sort of fall apart. Even the... Uh, effect. God, that's so hacky. They've got a chart of uh, the excess deaths, weekly excess deaths, more deaths than normal. Uh, I think it's like 7,000 people die on average every day in the country. And a nation, that sounds high, but in a nation of 330 million people, it's not that high. Um, the number of excess deaths actually was much, much lower than it is now. It's right around about 2,500 a, uh, a week relative to normal. It was zero back in February of 2021. It's weird. As soon as Joe Biden comes into office, it goes down to almost zero, not quite zero. And then it was back down to zero again or near zero at the beginning of this year. At the beginning of this year, honest to God, true story. You look at PolitiFact's own chart from February and March and April 
I think that's April. Of It's a very poorly uh, designed chart for computer screen, but three months of zero or near zero excess deaths. Now it's at about 2,500. It peaked last month at about 5,500 excess deaths. And while that is going on, they have decided to say that Joe Biden has kept his promise. Boy, howdy, he's got it under control. COVID is worse than it was three months ago, significantly going from zero excess deaths, just using, you could argue all day long about excess deaths and whether or not it's a legitimate unit of measure. I didn't choose it. They did. This is what they're using. They, uh, they have decided this is the way to go and their own unit of measure doesn't show what they're arguing, but they must protect the king. They must protect the king. And that is the way that the media works. That is the way the left works. The, uh, the, while we're on PolitiFact, this one cracks me up. This one is, uh, if anybody takes PolitiFact seriously in any way other than mockery, uh, they should not. They're checking a campaign ad from J.D. Vance, who is the Republican running for the Senate in the state of Ohio. Their headline, Tim Ryan said, I love you, Nancy Pelosi, and votes with Joe Biden and Pelosi 100% of the time. Ooh, well, Amy Sherman, somebody named Amy, is Amy Sherman trans? I don't know. Judging by the picture, I don't want to judge by the picture. I'm probably wrong, but I would guess. uh, They've got an ad. What's the... What's love got to do with it? Ad shows Ryan's support for Ryan's support for Pelosi, but omits bid to replace her. You're going, what? Now they're fact checking whether or not Nancy Pelosi, that Tim Ryan, the Democrat running for Senate in Ohio, votes with Nancy Pelosi 100% of the time. That's the claim. That's what they're fact checking. So, oh, it omits bid to replace her. And you go, okay, what, what is this about? Did he plot to overthrow her last week? Did he plot to point out that her husband's DUI is disqualifying for her position in leadership in the Democratic Party? No, no. So U.S. Uh, Representative Tim Ryan faces a challenging uh, a challenge running as a Democrat in Ohio. A the other senator, by the way, in Ohio is a Democrat. So let's not pretend that it is atlas holding up the earth sherrod brown is the other democrat in ohio rob portman is the republican he's retiring sherrod brown is the other democrat he's not up this time democrats have no problem but whatever politifact is politifact is politifact a state donald trump won in 2020 by eight percentage points ryan's strategy in the senate race against republican jd vance is to portray himself as independent of party leaders in a new ad from Vance, calls this strategy a tale of two Tims. Quote, TV Tim Ryan pretends he's with you. I don't answer to any political party, the ad says. Vance continues, but DC Tim votes with Biden Pelosi 100%. The ad pivots to a clip of MSNBC's Rachel Maddow saying to Tim Ryan, you've said that you don't like Nancy Pelosi. You love Nancy Pelosi. Ryan responds, yeah. I do love her. The clip omit. Now, that, there's your, your ad. It's a pretty effective ad. It's all true, but it's unhelpful to Democrats. And so the wagons must be circled. They must be circled. 
They write, the clip omits an important but when Ryan went on to say that despite his love, it was time for a new Democratic leader in the House, U.S. House, Ryan himself. The clip was from 2016 when Pelosi was vying to remain the House Majority Leader after Trump's presidential win. Oh, okay, so six years ago, he challenged her for the leadership of Democrats, then minority leader of the Democrats. He lost in humiliating fashion and since then has voted with her 100% of the time. Now, presumably, the only time he didn't vote for her with her in the last six years was when he voted for himself to replace her. That's the important context they're talking about, when in fact, that is not a policy vote in any way, shape, or form. It has nothing to do with any bill pending or law passed in Congress. It has to do with the internal party squabblings of the Democratic Party. Nancy Pelosi was seen as weak because Democrats had just expected to win not only the uh, presidency with Hillary Clinton, but the House of Representatives. It didn't work out for them. And when that happens, there's always a little bit of blood in the water and people circle and try to get rid of their leadership, try to replace their leadership. He failed. But they're using that as saying, see, no, 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 no. He's not with Pelosi 100% of the time. He ran against her six years ago, and therefore he's his own independent man. Forget the fact that in the ensuing six years and the preceding years, while they were both in Congress, he was with her 100% of the time. There was that one day back in the winter of 2016 where he said, hey, I should be the leader, not her. And he was roundly humiliated and he immediately got back in line. <laughs> That's like saying, you're, 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 uh, you can't, I'm not going to do a Nazi analogy. You can figure out your own analogy. But it's hilarious, the lengths to which these people will go to try and obscure the truth. You could just ignore it. You could just ignore this ad and go, well, you know, we're not going to fact check an ad. Uh, he votes with Pelosi. You don't like the results. They declared that he votes with Pelosi and Biden 100% of the time. They declared that half true because of that one instance in 2016. PolitiFact, half true. It's half true because it's missing important context, they say. Wildly important. Is it really important? Their ruling, quote, the Vance ad highlights Ryan's love for Pelosi and his overlapping voting record with Pelosi and Biden. Overlapping. They're identical. <laughs> These are overlapping twins. They're identical twins. No, no, no. We have to call them overlapping twins now. You never know. One of them might identify as not a twin. Ryan's voting record in the current Congress does align with Biden's agenda and Pelosi's recent votes, though as House Speaker, she does not vote on every measure. Oh, okay, that's a more important context. Again, not at all what they were talking about in the ad. That's the sleight of hand, the political sleight of hand. Republicans say something, and Democrats say, well, here's something else irrelevant to make that not true. And well, how do you make that connection? You don't. You just plow through it. You just plow through it. But the more glaring issue with the ad is that it snips out Ryan's explanation of why he thought Pelosi should no longer lead the party. Vance's ad does not account for Ryan's notable decision to challenge Pelosi's leadership after the 2016 election, leaving viewers without the full story. Oh, context is all. These are the people who have fact-checked 
Joe Biden zero times about the uh, Charlottesville lie. Remember that? Oh, the Charlottesville. Donald Trump said that neo-Nazis were very fine people. I've gone through that so many times it doesn't even isn't worth talking about anymore. Joe Biden said, repeated that lie this week. He said there were very fine people over there, the neo-Nazis, that they're very fine people. It's not. He actually condemned them. There's no, hey, that was not in context of that from PolitiFact. They don't really care about those sorts of things. It's Democrats they must protect. And so their final sentence, two sentences, in this so-called... Uh, fact-checked, given important context, is Vance's statement is partially accurate, but takes things out of context. We rate this statement half true. What is in the ad is absolutely true, a fact, a point, PolitiFact itself makes in the so-called fact-check, but they have to rate it half true because reasons, because narrative because they want to, because they're desperate. Never trust these people. Never trust these people as far as you can throw them. And uh, hopefully it's not you, but treat yourself and believe in yourself as far as throwing them goes as you are an octogenarian with an arthritic back. You can't throw them in all. Don't trust them in the least. You can see why Democrats are circling the wagons. You can see why they're a little bit concerned, why they should be concerned. Things are not going their way. Imagine if we had an honest media. Now, we've never really had an honest media, but we had a more honest media in the past. But more honest? More honest? Maybe they were more honest. Maybe that could be a career path for them. But we had a a slightly more honest media in the past. And so when you see all these polls and you see everything, first of all, remember, polling is... uh, Wildly inaccurate when it comes to things that aren't sentiment-related. People lie to pollers, pollsters, and they still have no idea how to reach people who uh, are you know, America firsters. They have no idea how to, to account for them. Because they, they take a whole bunch of calls, and then they, they statistically sample things, and they say, well, this one is, this, this person will represent three people, but this person will only represent a half person. We think there are more of these people. We'll uh, say there are 41% Democrats in the country and 36% Republicans. What are you basing that on? Well, we're basing it on the, uh, the turnout in the last few elections. You mean when you, the polling just did a horrible job, right? Those things? So take polling with a grain of salt when it comes to who you're going to vote for. You can tell by the level of panic the left is uh, exhibiting what's really going on. Because your, your spidey sense out on the campaign trail tells you everything you need to know. And like PolitiFact, fact-checking, saying, well, it's, uh, it's misleading that he accurately quotes the guy. That's a sign of panic that they even felt the need to, to, to fact-check that thing. Well, there's new polling data. Monmouth University poll came out this week that shows the issues people care about. And this is why Democrats are panicked. This is why things like PolitiFact are scrambling to go, oh, um, Biden kept his promises. Hey, Biden, do you know as bad as the Biden administration is? They're at least keeping their promises. Well, yeah, I guess. They promised to do bad things. They promised to really everything they promised was going to screw up the thing. And they kept that promise. They that's something. That's like saying when I get home, that's like the Ralph Cramden. Ralph Cramden should be, PolitiFact would go after Ralph Cramden for 
never keeping the promise of socking Alice right in the mouth and sending her to the moon. He never hit her. But, but boy, howdy, every episode, domestic violence. Well, one of these days, Alice, pow, right in the kisser. Oh, all right, to the moon. He never did it. Fact check, Ralph Cramden is a liar. He never beat Alice. Okay, I mean, to each their own, I guess, but uh, that seems a little bit weird. But if if it helped Democrats, they would do that. If, if Ralph Cramden were a Republican and Alice were a Democrat and they were campaigning against each other, Ralph Cramden never, ever actually did. He promised. Oh, boy, howdy. We've got 150 examples of him promising to punch his wife. But did he? No, he did not. Vote Ed Norton. Well, this new poll shows why Democrats are right to be panicked. Monmouth University. The issues, people, things people care about. Now, these are the issues rated by voters in this poll as either extremely or very important for the federal government to address. If you watched MSNBC, if you listened to Democrats, this would be top of the list abortion. Second thing on the list, that trans girls can play sports with girls, with real girls. That was it. That's it. That Those would be the two issues that anybody cares about. Well, it turns out things are a little bit different than that. The top issue, 82% of Americans say is either extremely or very important for the federal government to address, is the obvious, inflation. The one thing Democrats can't talk about, the one thing they can't really, they've tried to blame everything and everybody and all like Putin's price hike. Donald Trump did it. We inherited a mess. No, you inherited 1.4% inflation that had pretty much been stable throughout the entire, you got nothing. This is all you. Your policies have made things worse. Gas prices are on the way up again, by the way. Did you notice that? We'll get to that in a second. But gas prices are on the way up again, which has Democrats doubly concerned. The second most important issue, 10 points lower than inflation, but still 72%, is another thing Democrats can't talk about. Crime. Crime. Crime is through the roof. Violent crime in particular. People don't want to go to major cities anymore. Because what? Because you just see video of people getting holy hell knocked out of them for walking down the street, for existing wrong, for whatever it is. There's no rhyme nor reason. It's just violent goon squads out there beating the hell out of people or a whole bunch of, as the media always puts it, I always get a kick out of this, a whole bunch of teens going wilding in a store and looting a store. Just at random. There's no injustice. There was no junkie died in police custody or anything like that. It's just, hey, uh, we decided that we all wanted to shop at the Gap, but we didn't want to have to pay any. We didn't want to have to pay those horrible Gap prices. So we decided and organized on social media to just go in and steal everything we possibly could and beat the hell out of anybody who happens to be in our way because the mob mentality lowers people's IQs, which are already pretty low if you're taking part in a mob, lowers uh, people's IQs by about 28%, I think, is the latest number I'm making up on that one. And they're they're always described as teens. Teens. They're just teens, you know, out for a good time. Hmm. Well, uh, 
crime being up there, they can't do that. Next is elections and voting. And I don't know how that, 70%, I don't know what they're, that's a meaningless thing unless you find out what people are actually concerned about, right? If it, if you hear Democrats, you tell them that one. They go, well, that's because they want uh, the federal government to take over all of voting. If you're talking to a Republican, it's because you want the federal government out of it because you've read the Constitution and you recognize the federal government has no role in setting up elections in the states. Whatever the case is, this is just a, a fault of polling. Uh, next, 68% of Americans say that jobs and unemployment are the, something that is super important, that is extremely or very important for the federal government to address. Democrats can't really talk about that one either. Why? Because they've already claimed, oh, we've solved the problem, but then they haven't solved the problem. It keeps being a problem. They have made it too easy to not work, and there's a whole bunch of people choosing to not work. Next comes immigration at 67%. Yet another issue Democrats can't touch with a 10-foot pole because all of the problems, nobody's out there saying, you know what, we really, well, maybe the AOCs of the world are out there saying, you know what, that mess down at the border, we need a bigger mess. You know, that, that spot on the carpeting, what we really, the white carpeting with the red wine stain, what you really need to do is make that stain bigger. Make that st- pour some more wine on it. In fact, pour wine all over the whole. Have yourself a red carpet, okay? It'll be great. It'll be glorious. What could possibly go wrong? The people see what's going on at the border, and this is a testament to new media. This is a testament to social media. There is only really one outlet that has any audience of size reporting on television anyway what's going on at the southern border and that's fox that's 67 percent of the american people look at that issue as being wildly important is not that suddenly more and more people are watching fox no they're not it's that clips and news stories are circulating on social media the American people are finding out. The portal is probably through Fox, and then they're getting stories or conservative websites, conservative news sites, talk radio, things of that nature. But they're then circulating that information on social media to people who aren't watching that kind of stuff. And it doesn't matter how uh, whether you follow the news or not. You watch enough clips of thousands of illegal aliens marching literally like they are doing a conga line across the Rio Grande, and you're going to go, what the hell? And you see the stories about the illegals being shipped to Florida, to uh, D.C., New York, Chicago, and those mayors freaking out, calling for the National Guard, and saying the government needs to step up and protect them and help them. They're overwhelmed. And you sit there and you go, there's two and a half million people across the southern border that they caught another million got away and you're worried about uh 50 people overwhelming your system it's kind of funny if you think back just a week ago what were these leftists in the media talking about with ron DeSantis? it was his stunt with sending 50 illegal aliens up to martha's vineyard that might backfire that may very well backfire because people are not going and what happened you get a poll a week later from a liberal Monmouth University that shows 67% of Americans are concerned about immigration. It didn't backfire. It highlighted, it forced the media. They thought they were covering a story to try and make 
Ron DeSantis look bad. They ended up covering a story that makes them look bad. It was glorious. It was brilliant. Next comes infrastructure. 57% of the population is concerned about infrastructure. I don't know who's concerned about infrastructure, honestly. Look, nobody wants bridges to collapse and individual areas have certain roads that are terrible and what have you. Where I grew up in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer is running for re-election. She ran four years ago going, we got to fix the damn roads. We got to fix the damn roads. And then she spent three and a half years not doing a damn thing about the roads. Now I'm seeing friends of mine from high school who are not particularly political. Some of them are liberal complaining about all the construction everywhere that they can't get anywhere because Gretchen Whitmer's up for re-election this year. Suddenly she goes, well, I got to I got to be out there pretending to fix the damn roads. I got to do that. She's too busy, you know, playing cop and putting police tape around baby car seats and seeds and things like that during the pandemic, making sure people didn't buy things she didn't approve of to uh, fix the damn roads. COVID was the perfect time to fix the damn roads. How many people does it take to work a shovel with some asphalt to plug a, 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 a pothole? Not many. Detroit, God knows they got enough potholes. And then finally, the last least important issue coming in at 56% is the one that Democrats have hung their hat on, abortion. Top issue, inflation, 82% say that's extremely or very important. Abortion at 56% at the bottom. You can see why Democrats would panic. Their issue, this was it. They were thinking this was going to be what would motivate Democrats to come to the polls. They forgot that you got to be able to afford to go to the polls. You got to you got to be able to eat enough food to have your brain work properly to remember that the election is coming up. You got to be able to pay for those groceries and not be wildly angry at the Democratic Party that brought you those elevated prices. You got to be able to fill your car up to uh, with gasoline to be able to afford to get to the polls. All of these things are wildly important and certainly uh top of mind, if you will, to borrow a phrase, over what Democrats would like it to be. It's kind of funny. That's why they're in a panic. That's why PolitiFact is scrambling. That's why the White House is scrambling. You're going to hear more and more. Now, they can't address any of these issues that are up there, not not in any meaningful way. They can pay lip service to it. They will lie. They will blow smoke up people's rear ends. You run risk of colon cancer with all the smoke. You're going to get blown up your rear end in the last six weeks of the election or one month of the election, I guess. Jeez. But they can't address them in any meaningful way. Even if they were inclined to do the right thing, they couldn't do anything about them. Now, gas prices are a big part of inflation. Gas prices, they've released half the strategic petroleum reserve. They're still releasing a million barrels a day from the strategic petroleum reserve. They can't impact gas prices. They theoretically could eliminate the uh, or suspend the gasoline tax, but that's about, what, 18 cents a gallon? They were doing what just a week ago? Oh, my God. Or two weeks ago, gas prices are down for the uh, 15th consecutive day or whatever. Now gas prices are up for the 15th consecutive day. They're not saying anything about that. They can't do anything about crime. Why? Because they weirdly believe that their constituency 
wants criminals on the street. I don't get it. I don't, it seems wildly racist to me that you look at uh, black and Hispanic people and you think what they really want is their friends and relatives out of prison. You're like, well, what makes you think they have friends and relatives in prison? No, no, we over-criminalize and everybody's just been arrested and black and brown people are all over jail and black and brown people want black and brown people out of jail. And you're like, I, I, I think black and brown people, maybe I'm wrong, I think black and brown people want to be safe. You know, I don't think anybody goes, you know what? That junky drug dealer on the corner who used to randomly point his pistol at people as they walk past him. He's been locked up an awful long time. I miss him. I miss him. We need him back on the street. I don't think that's the case. Remember that guy who beat holy hell out of the homeless guy on the corner? He's been gone for a very long time. The neighborhood just seems to have lost a lot of its character without him. I don't think that's the case, but Democrats seem to believe that this is what black and brown people want. (laughs) I don't get it. So they can't really go after crime. They can whine about elections, but I suspect that the vast majority of people who cited elections as a concern the federal government needs to address is in the people who think that there's a lot of fraud out there and the federal government needs to prevent that fraud. Uh, Democrat plans are to perpetuate that fraud. Plus, saying you're concerned about elections is not really, it's not the same. I don't think elections are like the motivating choice for anybody to go and vote. I just don't see that happening. So what can Democrats do? What can Democrats talk about? They're going to talk about the unemployment rate. They will claim victory on that, but you have to remember they inherited an economy that was shut down. They did not create jobs. They allowed jobs, well, Democratic governors, once Trump was gone, allowed their economies to reopen and allowed jobs to return. These aren't new jobs. They can tout them all they want, but if you do that, you have to be able to explain what happened to the three million people who are of working age who left the workforce. What are they doing? Where'd they get their money? What happened to them? Where'd they go? So you're going to end up with Democrats really hammering abortion going forward because that's all they've got. And weirdly, they're going to run on, we've fixed infrastructure, which in the grand scheme of things, filling potholes, taking care of the federal freeway system, which is what they're taking care of that, is what the gas tax exists for. That they let it fall into such disrepair is a testament to the failure of government in the first place and the problems with government. But at the end of the day, are you going to say, well, I can't find a job, I can't afford food, I'm afraid to leave the house. Uh, everything has gone to hell and we're being overrun by illegal aliens. But the two potholes on my way to grandma's house have been filled in, so I'm going to vote for Democrats. I don't think so. So Democrats have to be panicked. Gas prices are on the rise again. They had just spent, what, two months, a month and a half, month, month and a half, somewhere in there, claiming victory, dancing touchdown dances about how they'd lower gas prices. Thank Joe Biden. Thank Joe Biden for lower gas prices. Um, Okay, well then, do we get to blame him again for... Raising gas prices or rising gas prices? It always cracks me up when these politicians do this. They're so short-sighted. They really are. Business, this is the difference between business and government. Government is, give me the immediate, immediate. Look, I need the payoff tomorrow. 
Uh, if it if it destroys everything in a month, well, I, I don't really care as long as the election is in three weeks, right? Just get me past the next election and I'll find a way to lie myself past the next one after that. But I'll at least have a few years to do it. Doesn't matter what political party is. They'll blow smoke up your rear end. They'll lie to you. They'll tell you this, that, and the other thing. And they, if it works, then more often than not, it works. They go, whew, bullet dodged. They've been dealing with this with Social Security and Medicare for my entire life. Social Security and Medicare are going broke. They're operating at a loss. They are a Ponzi scheme. But because they're a government Ponzi scheme, it's not illegal. And they just keep printing money, make you, taking more money from people. They tell you, oh, don't worry, your money is in uh, an account with your name on it. It's not going anywhere. Meanwhile, they've spent that money. It started because they spent that money on just general government money. They just took it and put it in the general fund and said, well, we'll just replace the money with an IOU. And nobody will know because we'll make good on it. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. And that's how Ponzi schemes always start. And then things go south and things don't work out the way they planned. And, and uh, Ponzi schemes usually collapse on themselves because they run out of other people's money. As Margaret Thatcher always said, the problem with socialism too is that eventually you run out of other people's money. But when you're the entity that prints money, you don't run out of other people's money. You can just keep printing. That leads to inflation. You can also keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. That leads to all sorts of problems as well. Sooner or later, the piper does need to be paid because all those IOUs that are spent, and it's not that you're, you know, $200,000 that you've paid into Social Security isn't there and it's just an IOU. It's that the government's half 200000 They're 200000 That's gone too. And not only that, it's been replaced with an IOU that is really not $400,000, but probably negative about a million dollars. Your money's gone and then some. They'd go to jail if they were in the private sector, but they're government, so they get reelected on it. Now all politicians do is a game of hot potato. They don't want to be blamed for when it collapses, so they do what they can to prolong the life. It is propped up, propped up, accounting gimmick, accounting gimmick, and eventually you just run out of the, the scams you can pull to keep it going. Sooner or later you will. When you sit there and you take credit for, and, and Democrats are sitting there going, well, we're, we're protecting Social Security. You're not protecting Social Security. Social Security needs to be reformed. Medicare need to be reformed. They need to be changed. But the danger isn't today to Social Security or Medicare collapsing. So they can say, Republicans are threatening your Social Security. They're threatening your Medicare. They want to take it away from you. Like, it's going away. Don't you get it? They want to prevent it. From, they want to change it so it doesn't go away. No, no, no. They're, they're trying to, they've endangered everything. They just want to kill Social Security and Medicare. They want to destroy you. They want to harm you. Like, where do you get this stuff from? They don't, they know it's not true. They don't care. It's about getting past the next election. It's about scaring people into voting for them. With gas prices, it was, well, Joe Biden isn't responsible. Gas prices are going up. There's nothing. Everybody knows the president can't do anything about gas prices. Can't do anything about gas prices. 
Gas prices get to $5 a gallon. They go, the president couldn't do anything about that. What are you going to do? And then gas prices started to come down because people weren't buying it at $5 a gallon. They couldn't afford it at $5 a gallon, so they were driving less, which meant there was a surplus of gas. And what did they say? Well, the president has saved the day. He's lowered gas prices. You're welcome, America. They're still you know, 50% higher than they were when Joe Biden took office. But you're welcome, America. The strategic petroleum reserve is dangerously low at a time of world crisis. But hey, you're welcome, America. Vote Democrat. Vote Democrat. Well, now they're they're going back up again. What's going on? Is that Joe Biden's fault? All those thank you cards currently working their way through the mail system to Joe Biden right now to say, thank you, Mr. President, for saving us a whole bunch of money on gas, putting aside the fact that we're spending 50% more than when you took office on gas because of you. Putting that aside, do those get returned to sender? No. Washington Post is concerned about this. They have a headline uh, just uh, yesterday. As gas prices rise, Democrats scramble to lay blame on big oil. With midterm election approaching, tensions rise between the White House and oil companies. Well, considering the White House wants to put oil companies out of business, I'm not sure how much higher the tensions could rise, right? Once you're already in a Mexican standoff, it's pretty much a Mexican standoff. You don't get to... Unless there are different provinces or states in Mexico that have different types of standoffs and you can raise the level that way, it's a Mexican standoff already. So as prices at the pump trend up nationwide, there's no big story. and There's no pointing out how much they're trending up. It's just they, they don't want to draw too much attention to it. They just need to uh, pretend that it is, uh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about how much it is. It's just important. Let's see. I want to see how much. Gas prices. USA. Oh, the average gas price is up, I think, a dime. More than a dime from last week. And the average gas price is $3.83. Hmm. There you go. A week ago, it was $3.76. So it's up about $0.05 a gallon. Well, about $0.08 a gallon. Good job, Joe Biden. Thanks, Joe Biden. That's the average. It's gone up every day for the past three weeks. Are Democrats going to uh, take blame for that? Take credit for that? Whatever. No. No. So the Biden administration is scrambling to shelter Democrats from consumer frustration, laying blame on oil company opportunism and threatening new restrictions on the industry. That's what you're going to do. All these restrictions and all these things, you're making things, we've made things worse. And if you don't make things better, we're going to make things even worse. Hmm. Well, that's not going to work. In public comments and private meetings with oil executives, administration officials are warning that the White House could take extraordinary and potentially economically risky steps to bring costs down if the companies do not move more aggressively to shield Americans from price spikes. Note the story there isn't that the oil companies are gouging. They're admitting that the price spikes are happening, that spikes are real, that price increases are real. They just want to shield Americans from it. The incompetence of the Biden administration are causing oil prices and therefore gasoline prices to increase. 
But the Biden administration wants to protect, quote unquote, us from the consequences of their actions. The wording here is not by accident, ladies and gentlemen. The renewed attention on the cost of fuel comes as gas prices have jumped in recent days by as much as 60 cents per gallon in some regions, posing a political challenge for Democrats. Oh, it's a political challenge for Democrats. They were all running around patting themselves on the back, planning uh, orgies to celebrate gas prices dropping. Oh, look at what the president did. Now gas prices are back up again. So you're telling me that every gas oil company in the country, in the world, and every gas station in the country, most of which are independently owned and operated, they have all conspired to screw Democrats? Is that what you want us to believe? And you want to talk about conspiracy theories. You want to talk about paranoia. They always say the right believes in conspiracy theories. QAnon, conspiracy, QAnon this, and conspiracy theory that. Mm, I think that there is this giant cabal of tens of thousands of Americans conspiring to screw over Democrats is a bit of a conspiracy theory. Just saying. Throwing it out there. A decline in prices that stretch for 99 days helped to improve their prospects in next month's midterm election, during which control of Congress and several key governorships is at stake. But now prices are rebounding. And the tools the administration has for curbing them are limited. Yeah, it's amazing how... Once you drain the swimming pool, there's no water in the swimming pool. Well, weird how it works out. The most potent policy option the White House has is emergency authority to limit exports to other nations, a strategy that would be targeted at boosting inventories at home, but which could destabilize global markets and exacerbate the energy crunch. See? Screw over the world at a time when they're telling us that what's going on around the world is so important. It's wonderful, so important, it's so important, so important. You go, okay, you're going to screw over the world then. Uh, It would also be tricky to balance that with the president's commitment to keep as much oil flowing to Europe as possible. See, there's a decent possibility that the Biden administration bombed the Nord Stream pipelines. There's a possibility that Russia did it too. We don't know. But I will say this. I was thinking about this last night. If the Biden administration had any reason whatsoever to believe or any evidence even to suggest, because we're not dealing with the most honest people in the world, if they had any reason whatsoever to even suggest that Russia bombed, sabotaged its own pipeline for whatever sort of weird Machiavellian, too clever by half scam that Vladimir Putin's trying to cause it, I'll, I'll cut down my biggest source of income. I'll destroy it. That'll show the world. There we go. If they did that, if we had any evidence of that, knowing that most of the world blames the United States of America, blames the Biden administration, then we would release it. We would at least be leaking it at some point. Somebody in the Biden administration would be, you know, roll over to Maggie Haberman and whisper in her ear, you know, Russia did this. Russia did it. Here's a little bit of proof. And then, uh, sources close to the uh, situation have shown that blah, blah. That would be the story. I haven't heard that. I haven't really heard a whisper of that. Weird. Just saying. Just saying. So, yeah, they, they're screwing over. Europe is now, because if you if you did destroy the Nord Stream pipeline, you just screwed Germany as they're heading into winter. You screwed the green agenda while trying to, I don't know, damage Vladimir Putin. 
Let's see. It, uh, it would also be tricky to balance the president's commitment to keep in 2025. Quote, the 99-day streak is over, but it's still a month before the election, said Kevin Book, managing director at Clearview Energy Partners, a research firm. Quote, after this president has taken an unusually active role in telling American drivers his administration is going to try to keep prices low, the fact that they are rising creates political jeopardy. Wow, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's what gets quoted in the media these days. It's just leftists going, here's the obvious. Oh, well, thank you for that. That's why we called you. That's why we... So the, you're saying water is wet, Mr. Expert on wetness. Yes. Is uh, is the sun hot? It is. Well, that's good to know, too. We'll save that information for a future report. The price hikes are substantial in several pivotal states. In California, there are at least eight hotly contested house seats. The average price of gas is $6.38 per gallon, an increase of 62 cents in the past week. In the past week alone, congratulations, Governor Hairdo out there. You're doing a bang-up job. Imagine if they had a governor that spent less time running campaign ads in a state 3,000 miles away and more time trying to deal with the problems in his own state. Sadly, Gavin Newsom will win re-election with uh, ballparking it. Low ball estimate is about 72% of the vote. So it's hard to feel bad for these Californians. They vote for it overwhelmingly. You can only buy somebody banging their head against a brick wall of helmet. You can't make them wear it. You can't make them keep it on. Nevada, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska have all seen price jumps of at least 40 cents per gallon. Swing states across the country are seeing a lot of increases. Throughout the swing states in the Midwest, the increase has been less severe, but large enough for drivers to feel the pain. They're not feeling new pain. You don't get used to $3.50 a gallon gas and then go, well, now it's $3.75. Now it hurts. No, it hurt at $3.50. You just kind of adapted. Now that it's costing you $15, $20 more to fill up and you got to fill up twice a week, that's going to really screw you over, especially when the cost of groceries are up about 40%. So that's the problem for Joe Biden. They need to demonize the oil companies. But you'll hear it. Get ready for it. Here's what you're going to hear a lot of in the coming weeks. Profits are up for the oil companies. Profits are up. Profits will not necessarily be up. A lot of times Democrats conflate profits with revenue. You can have a billion dollars in revenue and lose $100 million that year. Because the operating costs were more money, were more, were $1.1 billion. It doesn't really matter. Revenues are one unit of measure, but it's just like, like I always say, if you control the unit of measure, you control everything. None of this will be by accident. They will change these things around. They will try to conflate the two. Profits may well be up, but revenues are also up. Now, why would revenues be up? Because things cost more, Okay. Revenues, raw dollar amount, what you sold for a dollar last year is now you're selling for $2 this year because of inflation. Congratulations, you had a 100% increase in your revenues. You probably had a correlating 100% or more increase in your costs as well, but they don't take that into account. So be very wary of hearing about revenues being up or even profits because a lot of people, sadly in media, 
either diabolically don't want you to know the difference or sadly, pathetically, they don't know the difference. Whatever it is, just hold on to your britches because you're about to get lied to. Get your hip boots out. It's about to get deep. And the hits just keep on coming for Biden. And this is incompetence. Sometimes it's fortuitous timing. Look, things, things happen. And you can't control things from it that happen. But when things continue to happen in the same vein, in the same line, there's, the pattern is detected, you have to go, well, incompetence has to play a role in this administration. UK Daily Mail today. American drivers could face another increase in gas prices as the OPEC Plus Alliance announced it is cutting oil production by up to 2 million barrels a day and what could end up being a massive setback for the Biden administration. Even the UK press is like, how does this impact President Biden? Uh, Energy ministries from the OPEC cartel, whose leading member is Saudi Arabia, and allied non-members, including Russia, are meeting in person in the group's Vienna headquarters for the first time since early 2020. The announced production cutback on Tuesday is the largest since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. It comes after oil barrel prices dropped roughly a quarter in just three months, now around $90 amid fears of a looming global recession. The announcement effect, the announcement's effect on uh, the pump is not yet certain, but the decision has left the Biden administration scrambling to avoid a total disaster, according to a CNN report. Yeah, remember when Joe Biden went over to Saudi Arabia and said, please, won't you please, 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 for the love of God, won't you increase production? And they said, no, no, we won't. There's a place that Joe Biden could go where he wouldn't have to beg anybody to increase production. It's just into his Oval Office and he could rescind many of his executive orders that have forbade U.S. oil companies and U.S. drillers from exploration here in the United States of America. So you say, well, and one of the arguments the left always made, and if you remember this, you get bonus points in the next test. Since I was a kid, the Republicans have wanted to drill in Anwar. Not everywhere in Anwar. Anwar is the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve up in Alaska. It's a huge. Alaska is gigantic. It's like a size of almost half of the continental United States. It's gigantic. And a huge part of that is the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve. And they say well, nobody can uh, drill there. Nobody can go there. No- nobody goes to most of it. Probably one of the biggest plots of land on the face of the earth where uh, the vast majority of it, nobody's ever set foot. No human being has ever set foot. Animals don't even go there. Polar bears are like, what the hell with that? There's nothing there. I'm not going there. Elk refuse to go there. Well, they uh, have been advocating for drilling on a tiny little sliver of it. A tiny little sliver of it. There's, I think it's less than 1%, the area, the landmass of Anwar. Now, I had the brilliant idea years ago to say, all right, you don't want us to drill in Anwar because you leftists hate America and hate energy independence. And all they do is, we're so dependent on foreign oil. Well, then we could drill it. No, we can't. Well, that's how you become. That's like saying, I, I, I can't breathe when running up the stairs. And you say, well, then you should quit smoking. Like, no, I won't quit smoking come up with come up with a lift or something i don't want to have to quit smoking like there's an easy solution to your problem 
and you won't take it. But they, uh, I said, let's take you know a, an area of space around Anwar. Like I say, it's gigantic. And it places around it. It's not like it's populated either. Let's just annex something that's 10 times the size of where they're going to drill outside of Anwar. And we'll say, we're adding to Anwar. Now, Anwar is bigger. You say you're taking 1%. We're going to take something that's 10% that size. That's, you know, 100 times the size of that 1%. And we'll add it to Anwar. Now, Anwar is bigger, but they can drill in that area. And they said, no, 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 no. What was the biggest argument that the left really had? They didn't really care about the environment. Every time this was brought up, starting back in the late 80s, early 90s, today is it won't really have an impact for 10 years. Every time gas prices went up, Republicans said, hey, we could drill in Anwar. We'd start drilling in Anwar. Because gas price, oil prices in particular are based on future prices. Futures prices. It's not commodity. It's not immediate commodities. It's the futures market. So if you see something coming down the pipe, the gas prices are affected by that. Well, if you... Uh, said, hey, in 10 years, or really, if you removed a lot of the ridiculous, burdensome restrictions, you could get into Anwar inside of a year or two, probably. I mean, there's there's so many restrictions in every environmental group that is granted standing by the federal government. They'd sue and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. And the courts would say, we have an injunction. We need to figure out whether or not they can do this. And it would delay, and that would take 10 years. Government could cut through all of that, as we witnessed in Operation Warp Speed. Government can cut through a whole bunch of stuff if it wants to. Problem is, this government doesn't want to cut through anything. It wants to add more. But they always said Anwar uh, won't have an impact on gas prices for 10 years. Well, it's been, what, 30 years, 40 years since they first said it won't have an impact on gas prices for 10 years, which was a lie when they said it, but even if they did... How many sets of 10 years have to pass before they go, oh, yeah, wait, we probably would have been benefiting from that. There's a huge oil reserves in the ground under Anwar. Democrats don't want you to get it, don't want us to get it. So we could do a lot of things to impact gasoline prices here in the United States of America without having to go over and kiss the butts of a whole bunch of sheiks who don't really care about what happens in the United States of America. But we don't. We won't. This administration will not. Every time Republicans have managed to get drilling in Anwar started, all those delay tactics start, and then a Democrat comes into office and stops it, stops it cold, because they're bad. They're bad people, and they do bad things. Uh, speaking of, let's see, people doing bad things, let's, uh, let's go to Oregon. This is kind of funny. There is a race up there for, well, there, there's elections everywhere. And if you're sitting there and you're going, well, there's a real possibility. If you look at it, it's we're probably not there yet. But if it keeps going this way, there's a real prospect, a real possibility that Oregon will be um, a little bit red, a little bit red. The Democrats have a nominee that there's a possibility this person will lose, named Tina Kotek, K-O-T-E-K, running for governor of Oregon. They also have a ballot measure out there, Measure 110, Decri Drug Decriminalization and Addiction Treatment Initiative. 
Well, it already passed, but they're they're implementing it. And they uh, it passed overwhelmingly, 58%. Essentially decriminalized every drug. And guess what happens when you decriminalize every drug? You get a lot of people doing a lot of drugs. Colorado saw this. You see, Maryland is about to legalize marijuana. They're going to legalize marijuana. It's, it's just everywhere is going to legalize or decriminalize marijuana. I would have preferred that these politicians, these short-sighted people who go, well, we can tax it and we can get more money, if they'd have looked at states like Colorado and just waited to see what happened. Give Colorado 10 years to really implement its marijuana legalization and see how it worked out. Because there are places in Colorado where I'm sure it's worked out great, but there are also places in Colorado, particularly around Denver, the population centers, where it's been a disaster. A whole bunch of losers whose main priority in life is to get high moved there. Guess who's not the most motivated, productive members of society? Anybody willing to move so they can get high? Just say it's a simple fact of life. Think about the people you've known whose lives revolved around marijuana at any point. Maybe maybe you're lucky and you don't have anybody who did. I have some. At various points in my life, I teetered on the edge of that, actually, but I never really embraced it. Um, they're not the most motivated people. They're not the go-getters. Now you could say, well, look, we can point to Joe Rogan. He, he does it. Okay, yeah, Bill Maher. Yeah, okay, but they're not exactly... I mean, they're productive members of society. How do I put this? Their jobs involve talking. Their jobs involve talking. So if there's one thing potheads can do, it's talk. Trust me, they'll talk your ear off. But it's not like uh, Bill Gates was smoking a just a bunch of weed while he was found, founding Microsoft or that Steve Jobs was just constantly high when starting Apple. no. Now, did they? Probably, on occasion, sure, whatever. But I'm not talking about the occasional user. I'm talking about the serious user. The serious users that flooded into Colorado caused a problem. It's called homelessness. It, it ballooned. There were all sorts of problems. And other states were just looking at the, hey, so you're making how much money, Colorado? Well, we want to make that much money, too. They didn't think about the uh, other ramifications because politicians are wildly short-sighted and they can just put Band-Aids over that and kick it under the rug or kick it down the road or whatever. You look at, uh, again, where I grew up in Detroit, there's no gambling. They thought about, well, we should do gambling, we should do gambling because every other industry was being chased out of the city of Detroit. And instead of going, maybe we should find out and maybe repeal some of the horrible policies that are running all these businesses out of Detroit, they said, no, 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 we, uh, we should try to get gambling. And everybody said no. And then Windsor, Ontario, right across the river, had a giant casino go up. Casino Windsor. I forget what it's called now. doesn't matter. But they had a giant sign, neon, could be read from miles away, casino. And they watched as people did a huge line across the Ambassador Bridge and through the tunnel to Windsor to go and gamble. Million dollars a day, they said, was going across the river and staying in Canada because of that. And then Detroit said, all right, we're going to have casino. They did three casinos. They weren't an economic boon to the city of Detroit. Oh, they got their tax revenue, but they built them in areas where there was nothing else around them or they actually ruined a nice area of Greektown. 
uh, that's the least successful of the casinos. They could have really, I don't know, strategically planned them to rehab old buildings rather than build new monstrosities with no windows because there were enough abandoned buildings in Detroit, but they didn't. They gave them carte blanche to do whatever the hell they wanted. And all you ended up with is a whole bunch of people broke, a whole bunch of gambling addicts, and casinos that it can't support three casinos. It can't. There's always been one, at least one, teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. If you've ever, you really want to be depressed, go to any casino the day or two after the Social Security checks are received or direct deposits are mailed out. And it doesn't matter what time of day. I've been intoxicated at the Motor City Casino in Detroit about 3 o'clock in the morning right after Social Security checks came. And it was loaded up. It's like the nursing homes had a shuttle service right there. And it's just people playing the one-armed bandits. And you're just like, this is the same. I mean, maybe they have nothing better to do. They don't have a use for the money, whatever. It's their money. They can do what they want. But it's not going to solve your problems. It's going to create problems. Legalizing drugs isn't going to solve your problems. It's going to create more problems. And in Oregon, it has shockingly created more problems. So in a debate the other day, Tim Tina Kotek, who is, again, the Democrat running for governor of Oregon, came out in favor of creating meth stabilization centers. They have such a problem with meth that hospitals are being overwhelmed. They want to create these stabilization centers. <laughs> and so we don't have to take people overdosing or people high on meth to hospitals to deal with. You need to create a whole new system, a whole new bureaucracy. Why? Because you decriminalized all this stuff. Maybe that's the, maybe, you know, there was a time when these people would go to jail. There was a time when these people wouldn't do it out on the streets and attack other people and do all sorts of horrible things that people on meth do because they didn't want to be arrested. They'd go to the privacy of a basement of a crack house and do their meth. But now it's out in the open. And rather than acknowledging the reality of the failures of liberal policies, they want to fail further. Listen to her in the debate. We make sure they have the services they need. But I will say for Portland in particular, in addition to making Measure 110 work, we need a meth stabilization center in Portland. We need a place for cops to take folks, not the emergency departments, when they are in a meth-related psychosis. <laughs> and they're in a, a meth-related psychosis. There is, I don't know about you and your dealings with anybody on meth, but um, good luck trying to rationalize with them. Look, I realize you're in a meth-related psychosis, and that's why you're trying to eat the face off of that dead raccoon there. But why don't you get into the cop car, and I'll take you to a meth stabilization center where you can eat a sandwich instead of that raccoon's face. I mean, come on, let's, let's do it. It'll be fun. No, people are freaking out on meth. People do absolutely insane things on meth. They'll scratch through their forearm skin till it bleeds on meth. Are you really going to, well, you, she's in a meth-related psychosis. Let's just get them to, uh, think. And getting them in the car. As we learned with George Floyd, getting a junkie who is high, even in the act of, of overdosing because they have too much fentanyl in their system, is not an easy thing. It turns out, and I hope you're sitting down for this, but it turns out that people whacked out of their mind on drugs are not the most rational of actors. 
True story. Swear to God. Most people you see screaming at lampposts downtown, wherever, are either in clinically you know schizophrenic and need of severe mental health or they are high out of their minds on drugs i used to do laundry in my old neighborhood in baltimore uh right on saint paul street there there was a small laundromat down toward the uh the monument and i had to start going to a different laundry i had to go much further to a laundromat because that laundromat i don't know how they they nine times out of ten you'd go there and there's this one guy doing the heroin lean you will never find anything able to balance like some junkie high on heroin it was amazing this guy was like leaning and crawling and crumbling down he could squat down to almost the thing and then he'd stand up he never fell but he's always in there high out of his mind should they have taken him to a stabilization center what would a stabilization center he's pretty stable there Heroin doesn't cause you to freak out normally. It causes you to just, you know, stand there and slowly collapse but maintain your balance. Or would it be better to get that guy off of heroin? Would it be better would it be better to get that meth head to a place where I don't know they could pet the shag carpeting and talk to a stuffed animal as it talks back to them and maybe eat a sandwich instead of a raccoon's face or would it be better to get them off meth? Democrats don't want you off meth. They can control you when you're on meth. They have they have power. That's not true. They can't control you. But they have power over you while you're on meth. And that is, well, that's meth or heroin for Democrats. Power over everybody else. You gotta love the... Uh, <laughs> I swear to God. I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I just saw it. I saw the headline. Somebody tweeted out a screen capture of the headline. I was like, oh... It could be interesting. Let's see what the story is. And so I searched part of the headline, and the first result comes up from Yahoo Sports. And it's not a sports story. If I wanted to talk sports, I'd talk about how Aaron Judge hit his 62nd home run last night, breaking the American League record and setting the major league record for most home runs without being completely juiced up. But I wasn't going to talk about that. I wanted to talk about something else. And then I saw this headline. It's like, oh, okay, let's see what this is. It goes to Yahoo Sports. This is a Yahoo Sports story. Or it's actually a business insider story that Yahoo Sports cross-posted. And you sit there and you go, what the heck? Does anybody remember when sports journalism talked about sports? When they covered sports with sports journalism? When you could turn on ESPN and it wasn't some sort of... uh, societal lecture about how god-awful everything is and how oppressive and racist all this stuff is while you're watching people who are not white make tens of millions of dollars a year to play a game you go oh man i wish that i had it that hard that'd be that'd be horrible horrible to have it that hard the story from yahoo sports the headline most ceos are already preparing for a recession with plans including laying off staff and cutting spending on environmental issues a major survey shows like, why the, Why is Yahoo Sports carrying this? Then again, it's not just these left-wing outlets. There are plenty of right-wing sports, conservative sports websites. Like, okay, just, how about you just cover sports from a, a, how about you just cover sports? How about that? I mean, you don't, you watch these people, they, they're all over TV and they're tweeting constantly and they're going, oh yeah, well, what about North Korea? Like, dude, you're a sports blogger. 
You're a sports player. Nothing against sports players. You're allowed to have your opinion, but it is not authoritative. I'll give you some credibility if you can quickly find uh, North Korea or whatever country you're opining on on a map and unlabeled me. Find that, and then we can talk about whether or not your opinions are are valid on the issue or whether or not they're just a blog post. And maybe you should start a second blog that isn't about sports, where you can opine on whatever the hell it is that, that floats your boat, okay? If it gives you buoyancy, blog about it. But on your sports website, how about you just do sports? I don't even, I don't go to any sports website. I don't care about sports that much. And anything I care about, I can easily find on my own without having to go read. And much like everything else, I'm not interested in somebody's opinion about sports. I want to know the score. I want to know the standings. I want to know the stats. And that's it. But this story is interesting. Most CEOs are already preparing for a recession, which they think will slash earnings and stunt growth, according to a new survey by KPMG. Measures companies plan to take to weather the recession include cutting ESG spending, that is the environmental, that is the the left-wing agenda. It's a left-wing agenda. Don't invest, buy into a, a mutual fund, where they do all this ESG sort of thing, and it's all race-based and environmental-based and gender-based investing. used to be about, hey, uh, I want to invest my money in a place that's going to get a good return on the investment. Now it's, I want to invest in something that will give me a giant virtue signal that makes the bat signal look like a laser pointer being chased by a cat. Okay, whatever. That's what you want to do with your money. Go ahead. Problem is, so much of our money is being invested. And by our money, I mean everybody's 401ks, your 403bs, your IRAs, whatever. It's being taken over and run under these auspices without you being told. Without you being told. Anyway, they're going to, when the, it's kind of funny because when the rubber hits the road, when the feces hits the fan, they run away from this crap. All this virtue signaling garbage, which should, as an investor, make you go, well, why the hell are you doing it in the first place? If when things get rough to protect profits, to protect my investment, you're going to run to this thing. Why shouldn't you? Why wouldn't you be there to begin with? Uh, They're going to lay off staff. The survey, which canvasses the opinions of CEOs of 400 American companies with annual revenues of at least $500 million. Remember, there's a difference between revenues and profits. The vast majority of CEOs, 91%, said they thought there would be a recession within the next year, and only a third said it would be mild or short. 80% said they thought it would affect their organization's anticipated growth over the next three years. See, this is the business, the difference between business and government. Government says, what can get me to the next poll, the next election, the next whatever, just get me over that hump, whereas business goes, we have to plan things out for the long term, they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders. Weirdly, politicians have no duty whatsoever to their their constituents. Now, they will say they do. Oh, my God. Well, they say they do, but they don't. A perfect example is any Democrat senator from a red state. I'm reminded of Max Baucus. Max Baucus was a longtime senator from Montana, Democrat. 
He uh, suffered a massive closed head injury in a motorcycle accident and was never the same again, but he kept getting reelected. So as liberal as the day is long from Montana, now that doesn't make any sense. Well, Montana was like 800,000 people. You could actually get to know the vast majority of people and uh, get by and, and do quite well in a state like that. It's huge geographically, but not a lot of people. They... Um, <clears throat> They kept reelecting Max Baucus. And you say, why? He's a liberal, they're conservative. Well, because every sixth year, Max Baucus became Ronald Reagan. Every sixth year, Max Baucus campaigned across Montana about how he's going to do X, Y, and Z, and he'll show them, and he'll stop this, and he'll stand up to this, that, and the other thing, and personal liberty, and blah, blah, blah. He didn't mean it. The other five years, he was right there with Democrats 100% of the time. But when the chips were down, he became a hard-nosed conservative. These companies, when the chips are down, they suddenly become interested in protecting their investments, protecting their companies, engaging in their fiduciary duty. Why the hell wouldn't they do it all the time? If these things are a potential drag in the future, if they're the first overboard, here's an idea. If you run a major business and you have a downturn in the economy or even you look at it and you go on the prospect of a downturn in the economy because economies are cyclical, you will have a downturn. If you can look at your employees and go, we can get rid of 10% of our workforce and not even notice it, you really have to ask the question, why do you have that 10% of your workforce, don't you? When the government shuts down and they say, uh, well, only uh, no, all non-essential personnel are not to report to work because there's a government shutdown, shouldn't you go, why do we have so many non-essential personnel working in the federal government? Why are there so many people who don't matter working in the government? Why do they get job security like you wouldn't believe why would they get retroactive pay when the uh, government funding is reinstated and why do they get pensions when their job is non-essential well you could probably get rid of at least half of those non-essential personnel and never notice it but you can't you won't no one wants to ask these questions nobody ever will Goldman Sachs analysts said in August that there's about a 30% probability the U.S. would enter a recession over the next 12 months, but that a recession in the euro area was twice as likely. Uh, But data from the Bureau of Economic Analysts showed that Americans have already spent almost a third of their pent-up savings, which Pantheon Macroeconomics said shows, quote, the risk of a recession is higher than we previously thought. Now they're ready, these CEOs are ready to lay off and stop all these left-wing policies and do all of those things. I'm not a fan of layoffs, but if they're going to stop spending money on environmental issues, doesn't that mean that they're doing so only because it is a virtue signal? Only because it is a virtue signal? If it were an imperative, if it were important to the business, they'd never do it. they never stop doing it, right? They can't stop doing it. It's wildly important to the survival of this business. If you can just get rid of it with no repercussions to the business, then it was never done in the first place. And I would say that these CEOs are, in fact, in violation of their fiduciary duties. Maybe there should be some sort of investigation into that. I'll never forget 
the story of Steve Jobs when he was he got the boot from founded Apple, built up Apple, got the boot from Apple over a dispute with the board about the direction of the company. He went on to go and like found other computer companies and like buy Pixar from uh, George Lucas and make that into what it became. And then he went back to Apple. Apple was, without him, rudderless. Apple was a disgrace. It was losing money. It was, remember, they Apple clones and everything. You could buy a no-brand computer that had, you know, the Apple operating system. He got rid of all that. He said, no, Apple has to protect its brand. And he came back in as CEO, triumphant, returned. And the first thing he did was end all charitable contributions. And these were to left-wing environmental groups. They're not like opening the Apple computer soup kitchen or anything. They weren't feeding people. But they said, we're losing money. We're not making money. We're not turning a profit. Why the hell are we giving money away if we're not making a profit? Oh, the left was outraged then. They still don't like that aspect of Steve Jobs. But it's a very important aspect of Steve Jobs because it's a wildly important lesson to learn. Don't do these. Now, if you're CEO and you're CFO and you're all your employees and you want to go and take some of your salary and donate it to whatever cause you want, that's your money. You can do with it whatever you will. But your job is to run the company in the best interest of the company and therefore in the best interest of the shareholders, really. You should do that. Not saying dump mercury in the drinking water, but for the love of God, it should be a little bit of... um, common sense there so yeah this headline of they're ready to do this and they've got a plan to do that maybe you should implement those things maybe you shouldn't be spending on these left-wing causes in the first place if you're a left-wing ceo knock yourself out with your own money leave everybody else's alone i want to play you this uh, yeah this joe biden audio really quickly kind of funny it's whining about the, the i told you democrats want to make abortion an issue they need abortion to be much more of a potent issue for the uh, election than they can so they'll they'll highlight the 10 year old girl who somehow magically got pregnant at 10 in ohio raped by an illegal alien they won't talk about the outrage over the illegal alien raping her they don't care about that they won't even talk about you know the deportation of the illegal alien after he rots in prison forever. They don't want that. They say she couldn't get an abortion. Well, the real problem is she was raped. Shut up. It's about abortion. Well, now they've got another one, not a child sex abuse victim, thankfully, but out in Arizona. Joe Biden was whining about the Arizona law out there. There's a couple of hotly contested races out there for governor in the senate so of course he's going to talk about what's going on in arizona listen to this in arizona they had a law which is mentioned by the vice president on the books in 1864 that 1864 that's 1864 before during the civil war and went into effect again a week and a half ago and just two days after it went into effect a young 14 year old girl been suffering from rheumatoid arthritis and osteoporosis. Initially, couldn't get a refill for her prescription, the drug she'd been taking for years to deal with her two diseases, because concerns that that very prescription could be used 
to terminate a pregnancy in violation of a law in that state. And that's exactly what we're afraid would happen. This 14-year-old girl couldn't get the medicine she needed for arthritis because of an extreme backward and misguided law. He's so pro-life. He's so Catholic. You can just hear it dripping from him. They think this is going to resonate. Well, she couldn't get it. She got it. She got it. All the left-wing outlets said, you know, they have their stories. 14-year-old arthritis med denied after abortion ban, doctor says. And then buried lead is they made a phone call. She got it. That was it. That was it. And now that the uh, state legislators recognize that this is a problem in these circumstances for rheumatoid arthritis, guess what? They can change that and make sure that it doesn't happen again. It's not this giant conspiracy. Oh, no. And therefore, this girl curled up into a ball on the floor of the CVS out there and died. No. No, she got her prescription. She never missed a dose, never had anything. Was it inconvenient? Certainly. Not good? Definitely. But you know what? Problem solved. Problem solved. Now, if Arizona feels the need to adjust their law, Arizona can do that. Do you know what happens is the federal government comes in and passes laws and uh, they screw up local ordinances. They're misinterpreted. They, they butt up against different things. They cause all sorts of problems across the country. And guess what they don't do? They don't. The states can't address it. The federal government won't address it. And you just have to deal with it. You either go back to business as usual and hope nobody comes in and prosecutes you for violating this federal law, or you spend years trying to correct it, trying to fix it, trying to change it. This is what makes federalism such a wonderful way of doing things. Things in Arizona can happen and can happen pretty easily. You point out a problem and they go, all right, well, we'll address that. The regulatory state in a state has enormous power and they can take care of it. If legislation is needed, they can do that too. The federal government doesn't work that way. You could have something that 99% of the members of Congress absolutely agree on. And when it comes to passing a bill, a one-page piece of bill, it says, hey, you know what? Everybody likes Friday. There will be somebody who goes, you know what, though, while we're passing this, since it's going to, we should probably add in uh, $100 million so we can build a bridge to nowhere. Or, you know, we can maybe build a swimming pool in my community. And it'll end up being a Friday's are awesome bill. It's uh, 1,218 pages. Nobody has time to read it. And it has a price tag attached to it of $3 trillion. Vote for it or you hate Friday's. That's how your government works. Now, if you may have noticed the. Uh, the situation with Hurricane Ian, the devastation, kind of going away, kind of going away from the news, from the media. Joe Biden, ah, I'm going to go tour hurricane damage in Puerto Rico. Why? Well, it's because of his Puerto Rican heritage. An idiot that guy is. But he's not going to Florida because there's no chance to outshine. There's no way that this clown would be able to outshine the governor down there. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> He, he couldn't outshine an old penny. but uh, So they're, they're keeping him away from Florida so far. Ron DeSantis, every time they shove a camera in his face or every time he holds a press conference, demonstrates why it is that Democrats want to destroy this man so desperately. Why they need to destroy this man. They can't defeat him. They have to destroy him. 
There was, you remember the talk of looters the other day, and uh, Joy Reid heard, black people, you hear looters, and you automatically think black people. That's where her mind goes, because that's all she, well, she hears that while she secretly hates gay people. Well, they caught some looters, and Ron DeSantis, you know, the, the announcement of having caught some looters, he handles it in an absolutely proper way. Listen to this. Um, turns out that three of the four looters that they've caught so far have, let's just say, common characteristics. We've had four looters that were arrested, uh, I guess, a couple days ago, and, and they need to be brought to justice, and we're not going to tolerate it. But, you know, three of the four are illegal aliens. And so these are people that are foreigners, they, they're illegally in our country, and not only that, they try to loot and ransack after, in the aftermath of a natural disaster. I mean, they should be prosecuted, but they need to be sent back to their home country. They should not be here at all. And you hear the crowd going wild at a press conference because people gather around at a press conference. And three of the four are illegal aliens. Three of the four looters are illegal. They're just trying to make ends meet. There's, you know somewhere there's a Democrat going, I really want to go out there and say, it's horrible that they're being uh, oppressed and arrested for this. It's wrong. It's just wrong. But they can't. They can't. Three of the four are illegal aliens. I thought that they were supposed to be black, Joy Reid, and that's what you hear in According to Joy Reid, all looters are just black people, but no, reality is different. Looters come in all flavors. Then later on in that very same press conference, DeSantis shows that uh, his political acumen, this is kind of, and I know it sounds like, you know, boy, Derek, you're really team DeSantis. Well, I, I sort of, I'm not team anybody at this point. I'm going to vote for the Republican. But you do have to admire the skill. You do have to admire the skill where he could bring it back home to that fact later on in the press conference and um, just black, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. Listen to it for yourself. First of all, our program that we did is a voluntary relocation program. I don't have the authority to forcibly relocate people. Uh, if I could, you know, I would take those three looters I'd drag them out by the collars, and I'd send them back to where they came from. <laughs> so, of course, at a, you can tell that the uh, hurricane is not a useful weapon against DeSantis by the way that he's getting questions still about Martha's Vineyard. You sent people to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, we're talking about the devastation here. Well, that doesn't make you look bad. Whereas up in New York, they think that the Martha's Vineyard thing is going to make you look bad. So you're uh, forcibly relocating people. Are you going to forcibly relocate people now? No, nobody was forcibly relocated. They found volunteers who wanted to go to Martha's Vineyard. They all signed and uh, read and signed release forms saying, hey, I'm in. Send me to Martha's Vineyard. And he doesn't have the power to forcibly remove anybody. If he did, I'd take these illegal aliens and get them back to where they Whoa, whoa. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Every time, Carrie Lake out in Arizona is another governor, gu- gubernatorial candidate who is um, doing a great job 
of blasting these reporters who try to come in and ask these questions. They come in and go, well, what about this? They think they got you. Oh, they got you. These people who are uh, probably rich kids, not real a whole lot of experience. History started for them about the time that they were, I don't know, 15 years old. Maybe they started paying attention to the news. They never bothered to go back and look at anything before then. The idea of a... Uh, wait, there was amnesty back in 1986 and Democrats promised to secure the border and they didn't. They expressly lied about it and violated the law. That that never occurs to them. All this stuff, they just pretend it doesn't exist or they're wildly ignorant, but they're incredibly arrogant. There are a bunch of AOCs and they're out there asking these questions. And Carrie Lake is blasting them back. Knocking, they throw you, they think they're throwing you a grenade and you just whack it back at him. Ron DeSantis, they, they think they're throwing him a bomb and he just whacks it back at him. It's brilliant. It brings it back home and it really exposes not just the bias, but the idiocy of these people. You're not dealing with bright people. I get the instinct that if you see somebody on television or you hear somebody on the radio, you hear, read somebody in the newspaper, you think they must know what they're talking about. I cannot express this enough. They do not. The qualifications for the job, most of these jobs, is can you string together a semi-coherent sentence? If you can, you've got a good chance of it. If you're trying to get a job in journalism, then it has to be, well, uh, what causes have you taken to the streets for? What do you mean? Well, what causes have you taken to the streets for? Do you care very deeply about the environment? Will you, do you, are you pro-choice? Because if you're pro-abortion, you can then cover the abortion issue. Well, I'm pro-life. Well, you can't cover the abortion issue. Then you're on the wrong side of it. You're on the wrong side of it. That's how these things work. That's how this works. In cable news, it's worse. Hey, can you string together coherent sentences you can all right there you go you're an expert now on everything hey let's talk about uh the florida hurricane now let's talk about uh, what happened with uh ukraine wait that's the same guy he's he's never worked in either one of those fields why is he well because people like him so are you in it for the ratings or are you in it to inform people because you're not in it for both no, we got a round table here on uh, Jake Tapper tonight. We've got seven people, and none of them have ever worked in the field we're about to talk about, but boy, howdy do that. That will not stop them from insisting they know exactly what is necessary to solve whatever world's problems there are. <laughs> I, just, I just retweeted. You, I recommend you find it in my Twitter. And there's a thread by Neville the Cat. And it's at Fear the Floof, F-L-O-O-F. He goes into two different left-wing journalists who have made their bones sort of ruining people online, desperately trying to ruin people online. Actually, now he's doing a third one. First one is Carlos Maza. He was like the, the gay wonk or something at Vox, and he was making videos trying to attack anybody who wasn't pro-gay enough and like he was wearing communist shirts and he's power to the people not his parents apparently are tech billionaires so he's got the luxury of doing that lived in a 10.8 million dollar mansion when he was a kid 
in Boca Raton, Florida. Then there's Taylor Lorenz of the New York Times, now of the Washington Post. She went to a private boarding school in Switzerland, grew up in mansions and the yacht, and blah, blah, blah. And she spends her time trying to ruin conservatives on social media. And now there's Ben Collins of NBC News. This is who these journalists are. These are the assassins of the left. They are the, the rich. Since I referenced it, I want to play you this clip from Carrie Lake, who's running for governor as a Republican out in Arizona and winning in the polls, at least leading slightly in the polls. And it's funny, the Democrat out there has adopted a I'm not going to debate her, she's too extreme mentality because Democrats are cowards and they run away from a challenge. But uh, I wonder if that tune will change now that uh, the polls are showing something different. I doubt it, but. Listen to Carrie Lake. This is a reporter trying to do a gotcha question, just like they try to do with with DeSantis there. DeSantis is, well, uh, you brought up illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard. You just captured them in the wild and threw them on a plane. Like, that's irrelevant to the discussion at hand, but that's not at all what happened, and he just destroyed them. Um, this is apropos of nothing. It's a question about abortion to Carrie Lake, and Carrie Lake turns it around. See, Carrie Lake used to be a news anchor. She knows intimately how this stuff works. Tell me, abortion is effectively banned in the state right now. Tell me, do you is that something that you support? I support saving as many lives as possible. And what I really want to know, and I've been waiting, I tune into you guys all the time. I want to know where Katie Hobbs stands, but I never hear you guys ask for that. I'm pro-life. My plan would be that every woman who walks into an abortion clinic know that there are options out there. They don't have to choose that. There's families who would love to adopt a baby. And right now, the way it's been going, they go in and they they only have one option. That's it. Nobody tells them that there's other options. We want to help our women. If they're afraid, we want to help them. We want to give women health care. And I want to help people. But I really challenge you, and I'm I'm happy to get back to you on this, when you find out where Katie Hobbs stands, because let me tell you where she stands. She supports abortion right up until birth Thank and after you. birth. That's right. She supports if a baby survives a botched abortion, that that baby die on a cold metal tray. Truth. And none of you ever try to get her to talk about her stance. So get back to me after you do. Thank and you. tell her. I want to debate this topic on October 12th, but she really needs to show up for that debate. So she won't show up for the debate. She's afraid of the debate. You can see why she's afraid of the debate. The ease with which she bats away that question and says, all right, here's your answer. There's your answer. And now why don't you go and ask the Democrat about this in those same sorts of terms? You're extremely pro-life. Okay. And uh, that means that the other person is what? Life, the other side, the antithesis of that is what? Ah, too scary. Run away. It's weird how that that works out. Uh, Before we run out of time, I want to play you this clip of Ketanji Brown Jackson. The left was drooling over this. Oh, she's so brilliant. She's such a brilliant person. It sounds like a lecture at a community college. And uh, she sounds like a guest lecturer from a community college. Sounds terrible. There's no question in what she's saying. It's a long clip. There's no question in what she's saying. None whatsoever. She's supposed to be asking questions. She's making a speech. 
for, I assume, domestic political consumption. But it's a case uh, that has to do with racial discrimination because colleges and universities, the left in general in this country, discriminates against Asian and Indian Americans because they're just too damn successful as that. And that's racism. There's a word that used to be used for that called racism. And that's being challenged in court. And so Ketanji Brown Jackson tries to find a way to say that, no, the Constitution, in fact, allows for discrimination on behalf of black people. Listen to her twisted logic. And also note the errors in history, which I'll point out when you hear it. Um, I don't think we can assume that just because race is taken into account that that necessarily creates an equal protection problem because I understood that we looked at the history and traditions of the Constitution, at what the framers and the founders thought about. And when I drilled down to that level of analysis, it became clear to me that the framers themselves adopted uh, the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment in a race-conscious way, that they were, in fact, trying to ensure that people who had been discriminated against, the freedmen, um, in, during the Reconstruction period, uh, were actually uh, 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 brought equal to everyone else in the society. So I looked at the uh, report that was submitted by the Joint Committee on Reconstruction, Reconstruction which drafted the 14th Amendment, um, and that report says that the entire point of the amendment was to secure rights of the freed former slaves. The legislator who introduced that amendment said that, quote, unless the Constitution should restrain them, those states will all, I fear, keep up this discrimination and crush to death the hated freedmen. That's not, um, that's not a race-neutral or race-blind idea in terms of the remedy. And, and even more than that, um, I don't think that the historical record establishes that the founders uh, believed that race neutrality or race blindness was required, right? They drafted the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which specifically stated that citizens would have the same civil rights as enjoyed by white citizens. That's the point of that act, to make sure that the other citizens, the black citizens, would have the same as the white citizens, so they recognized that there was unequal treatment, that people based on their race were being treated uh, unequally. And importantly, when there was a concern that the Civil Rights Act wouldn't have a constitutional foundation, that's when the 14th Amendment came into play. Came into play. Now, she's conflating all sorts of things. She's referring to the Founding Fathers and the 14th Amendment and their incentive. The 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868. I don't believe any of the Founding Fathers were still alive nearly 80 years later. They would have had to have attended the Constitutional Convention as a zygote, if that. So there's some historical ignorance. She's also conflating what the author of the 18th, uh, the, the, the uh, 14th Amendment said his hopes were, and the text of the amendment, which is unambiguous. It does not create a right to discriminate on behalf of people who have been discriminated against in the past. It ends discrimination, period. 
without favor toward one or the other or any. It ends discrimination. Now, if you are uh, an activist, a one-trick pony, if you have an agenda, you can twist anybody's words to mean anything you want them to mean. That doesn't change their actual meaning. It just demonstrates that you're willing to do anything to advance your agenda which is not the job of the Supreme Court, of any Supreme Court justice. So that's what you got. This is Democrats. She was the most qualified person out there who met the skin color qualifications of the President of the United States. Feeling good about things yet? We're out of time for today, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you listening. Have yourself a wonderful day. We'll be back to do it again tomorrow. See you then.